the fifth book of the New Testament, the great Acts of the Apostles, the fifth chapter, beginning to read at the twelfth verse. Now, many, many signs and wonders were done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high honor. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and pallets that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Amen and amen. The Christians of the first century church believed in the power of shadows. They believed that an evil person's shadow could cast the spell of, of trouble upon anybody's life, and the shadow of a good person could help and heal. Consequently, when good people came to town like Peter, the loved ones would take the sick and the affirmed and the crippled, and they would carry them out on stretchers and on pallets and, and place them out on the curb of the street, and sometimes they stood there for hours, or laid there for hours, waiting for these holy people to pass by with the hope that they would speak to them or touch them, or at least their shadows would be cast upon them, and the people were healed. Now, we in the 20th century think that's a little superstitious, the power of a shadow. Or do we? No, not, not figuratively or literally, but rather figuratively, we do believe in, in the power of shadows. Shadows that come in the form of influence, for each one of us is a product of the shadows that have been influencing us in our days prior to today and on this morning as well. We are products of other people's influence. I don't care who you are. The parents who conceived us, the family that raised us, the home that nurtured us, the teachers that instructed us, the pastors who ministered unto us, the colleagues who work with us, even the enemies who despise us. They have an effect of influence upon our lives. Each one of us can say with Tennyson that I am a part of all that I have ever met. We know that. Psychologists are kept very busy and forced to pay high income tax on the fact that today many, many people are overly concerned upon those influences that have been affecting their lives and they pay medical men good money to try to get help, 
to get these influences sorted out so that they can know who they are. Sometimes I think we spend too much time on analyzing the production that we are and the influences that have affected us and forget the basic New Testament fact that we are not only the products of influence, but we are also the producers of influence. We cast shadows. You have a shadow. Each one of us has a shadow. And the shadow of our existence is called influence. And you can no more keep from casting a shadow of influence upon people around you than you can from keeping a shadow off of the sidewalk as it reflects upon you on a bright sunlit day. We all are casting shadows, strong, silent, subtle shadows of influence. And therefore today, on this rather dark day, <laughs> when we don't have physical shadows, but we certainly have shadows of influence, I want you to look at you and your shadow and confront with me five truths concerning the power of you and your shadow. One, your shadow is always teaching somebody something. No, oh, this shadow of yours, uh, he's a healthy critter. Never rests unless you rest. Never takes a day off. He never even goes on vacation. Wherever you go, he goes. Whatever you do, he does. And he is always teaching somebody something. When you speak, your influence is teaching somebody something. And when you don't speak, your shadow is teaching somebody something. When you act or do not act, your influence is teaching somebody something. When you take a stand on a vital issue, or if you do not take a stand on a vital issue, your shadow, your influence, is teaching somebody something. You never want to forget that. Never does your shadow take a rest. And it is always teaching somebody something. And that ties in with point two. You can never be sure what and who your shadow is teaching. It's always teaching somebody something, but you can never be sure who or what it is teaching. And that's for different reasons, because first of all, we are not aware always of our shadows. Before me, there's a spotlight. And if the laws of physics hold true, I'm sure behind me is a shadow. I'm sure everybody in the choir is now looking to see if the shadow is there. I assure you, it's there. But it doesn't look like me. <laughs> and that's the second reason why we can never be sure what or who we are teaching. Because it's like home movies. 
You ever been in a home movie? Unless you are a professional in acting, the first time you see yourself on the screen, you don't believe it's you. You always think you're better looking and more able than, than you appear awkward on the screen. That's the way it happens. They tell me that in some of the theological seminaries today, they do it differently than when I was there. Then you had to go through the horrible experience of having your sermons, which are trial sermons in homiletics class, taped by audio tape. Today, in some of the seminaries, they do it with videotape. And they tell me these young preachers to be the worst half hour in the whole, whole semester is when you have to go with the professor and sit and watch yourself preach. They can't believe that they are appearing as they are or their influence is coming through as they believe. It's very frightening. Sometimes I wonder what messages you get from me up here. All of us, you see, have trouble with our images. Our images, we would like to believe, are those things that we want other people to see. And sometimes we're accused of filling an image. But the thing we never know is whether or not our concept of what we hope we are projecting is the same concept which people are receiving. And sometimes there's a world of difference between the two concepts. You're never quite sure what or who you are teaching. We would like to think that we are teaching when we prepare some beautiful text on righteousness or about law-abiding citizenry, but we forget we are also teaching when we are not standing on a platform but when we are in casual conversation. You see, we're teaching children about being law-abiding citizen when we teach them civic subjects, but we're also teaching them when they're in the back seat of the automobile and we're speeding and we tell the little kids, keep your eyes open for the police. We're teaching when we formally tell people to do right, love, justice. Be credible. But we also teach when we get caught in a trap and we lie and we cheat and we do dirty things. You see, that's why I give the sweatshirt brigade such a difficult time. I refer to the sweatshirt brigade every once in a while. They're, they're, those people. I don't think you're included in them. You better not be. But there are those people who Sunday after Sunday I see drive up here. They always have little Johnny or small Sally in the front seat. Uh, sometimes the hair is up in curlers, the face is unshaven. The women have the hair up in curlers and the men are unshaven. They always have on slacks and jeans and always the proverbial sweatshirt. Usually dirty. They drop off the children and they say goodbye. And they drive out the other end of the parking lot. You see, they are formally teaching their children it's important to love God and to learn all you can about Jesus Christ. But then, Sonny, 
The day will come when you'll be big like me and you won't have to learn about God and you can send your little children to church and Sunday school and you can join the sweatshirt brigade. And you know, some of those people are the ones who are most critical of our church school staff, our church staff, and why we don't do a better job in teaching their little children. You never know, ladies and gentlemen, you never know when somebody, big or small, is going to bump into your shadow to borrow a little light for their lives. You never know who or what your shadow is teaching. Three. Your shadows are hard to erase. In fact, there are some people that say they're irrevocable. Mm -hmm. now, now that's good if it's a good shadow you're casting. It's tremendous. In other words, your, your influence has lasting qualities. But it does a tremendous amount of harm if the shadow you cast is dark and represents something that is not clean. As some of you know, some of you served with him. My, my father was a, a minister, one of the greatest men that I've ever known. And my father was a strict disciplinarian, not only of his children, but of himself, more importantly. And he was one of those preachers that spent every morning of his work week in his study. His study for 40 years was always in our home. And that door at 9 o'clock was always shut and was never opened until 12 o'clock. 12 Only three things we were allowed to do to disturb my father. One, if there came a telephone call that somebody was dying, we were allowed to knock at the door and enter. Or, if there was an emergency conversation and it was imperative, imperative, that he had to take it, he would. Or thirdly, if our house was on fire, we were allowed to go in and tell him. But nobody was allowed in there except our little Cocker Spaniel, Tuffy. He was the only one that could get into the study. And I remember this one morning, it was summertime, and I was home, happened to be in my own room, and Tuffy was a little late getting to the study that morning, and the door never closed tightly, and, and Tuffy was able with his paw to swing it open and, and to go in. My father, as you know, was hard of hearing. And sometimes he couldn't hear sounds like the opening of a door. I just happened to be pa passing in the hallway and I caught a shadow of my father that I shall never forget. For there was my father on a bended knee beside his desk in the beauty and in the agony of prayer. He didn't know that I saw him and he never did find it out. But to my grave, I shall carry that image, that shadow, that influence of my father. And he never even knew it. You see, that image, that influence, that shadow shall never, ever be erased from my mind. And that's wonderful. 
But when a person casts a shadow of darkness, that too is irrevocable. And that can be disastrous. And I'll be very honest with you people, and I hope that I'm not judging before time, but the thing that really, really concerns me about this constant present manpower investigation that we're having in Allegheny County is not to learn the facts that you and I, we have been robbed of some money by some unjust people, nor the fact of how many people are involved. But what really concerns me is that some people who have been casting some pretty good shadows upon your life and my life and the life of our young people now may be accused of casting a shadow of darkness that you and I will never be able to erase from our minds. And that's tragic. For gifted people like that who have so much cast shadows that some of us will never be able to forget. You and your shadow can create an influence that is not easily erased. Point four, your shadow will long outlive you. <laughs> Don't want to get morbid or frighten you, but you know someday you're going to die. Some of you have never had your name in the newspaper, but you're going to have your news name in the newspaper someday, and it's going to be in the obituary column. Someday your mind's going to quit thinking, your eyes going to quit seeing, your ears going to quit hearing, your heart's going to quit beating, and a physician is going to pronounce you dead. But your influence or your shadow will not die with you. No. I read the other day of a man who was converted late in life and did much good for God and his kingdom. There had been a long time when he'd been on the opposite side, and when he was on his deathbed, they asked, did he have a wish? Yes, he did. I wish and I pray that my influence could die with me. But ladies and gentlemen, that's an impossibility. Your shadow will long outlive you. That's wonderful if you've done some wonderful things of influence, but if they're not so good, that's horrible. I heard of a theologian who says that one of the reasons he believes that the judgment will not come when we die, but long, long after we die, is because that when we die, our life is over, but the record is not in until the last bit of our influence dies. And you know, we of the church are still living on the influence of the Apostle Paul, and that was 2,000 years ago. He lived, but his shadow speaks. How does Scripture say it? Though he dieth, his life still speaketh. And your influence is going to be around a lot longer than your body. And we ought to know that. I'm grateful for Dr. Gordon Torgensen. He's a Baptist. We'll forgive him of that, but he's a pastor. He is an individual who tells a tremendous story. I've told it to you before about the man with the two umbrellas. 
Dr. Torgerson was, was crossing one of the great seas by steamship, and every day he would see this dark-skinned individual sitting on a deck chair reading a Bible. And it got the best of his curiosity, and after several days he found himself sitting beside the Bible-reading dark-skinned man, and he said, Excuse me, sir, I'm a Baptist minister. I see you reading the Bible. I assume you are a Christian. How did it happen? The dark-skinned man took off his glasses, closed his Bible, and said, I'll be happy to tell you. He says, I am a Filipino. And when I graduated from high school, I came to your great land of America to, to study law. And the first day that I was in one of your fine universities that night, I was a little homesick, and there came a knock at the door, and I opened it, and here was a person I'd never seen before, except he had a smile upon his face, face that registered warmth. And he introduced himself, and he asked about me, and, and he said, Is there anything I can help you with? And I said, No. And he says, well, well, where do you go to church? I said, I told him I was a Roman Catholic. He said, Well, the Roman Catholic Church is a long way away from here, but, but let me tell you. But better yet, let me draw you a map. And, and he took a pencil and a, and a large piece of paper, and he drew a complicated map, and then he said goodbye. Sunday came, and it was... My first Sunday away from home, I was a little homesick. It was raining outside, and I was tired, and I thought the best thing would be to get a little more sleep. So I turned over and was awakened a few minutes later by a knock at the door, and I opened it, and there stood a man, my new friend. He was in a raincoat that was dripping wet, and, and over his arm hung two umbrellas. He said, I came today because I thought you might have a hard time finding your church in the rain, and I thought I would come and walk along with you and show you where it is. And What could I do? But I had to get up and get dressed. And while I was dressing, I thought, what kind of a religion does this man have who, who, who worries so much about my religion? And we talked about it as we walked under the two umbrellas in the rain. And I said, where do you go to church? He said, oh, my church is right down the road here. He said, I said, let's go to your church today. And I did. He said, you know, I never went back to my own church. And four years later, when I graduated, I felt not the profession of law calling me, but I felt called to the ministry, and I enrolled at Drew Seminary, graduated, and today he says, I am the bishop of the United Methodist Church of the Philippines. It's a long story to tell you about the most important person in the world, not the bishop, but the man with two umbrellas. The man who, though he didn't know it, was teaching somebody something, who made a made an indelible impression upon this man, and who taught him the power of his influence, which is still being felt throughout the Philippines today. Point five. You, individually, you are the only one who can do anything about your shadow. I can't do anything about your shadow, nor can you do anything about mine. It will do what you do. It will not do what you do not do. Shadows do not lie. What you do, that's the shadow it will cast. And we all know that 
as these days lengthen, so do the shadows, because the sun is getting farther away from the earth. And the longest shadow that we can exert is when we are either walking into the sun or the sun is to our back. So spiritually it's the same way. The longest, the longest shadow we can cast is when we are either walking into the face of the teachings of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, or when we turn our back on him and walk away from the teachings of the Son of God. When you walk towards the Son of God with your arms outstretched and your head erect, the shadow you cast is in the form of a cross. And those who walk behind you find strength from the shadow of Christ. But when you walk away from the sun, there is no shade behind you, but the shadow that stretches out before you is one that gives shade to no one, but is a stumbling block to the one creating it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has eyes to see, let him see. He who has a shadow of influence to cast, let him be careful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts and the shadows of influence in our lives be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock, our Redeemer, and our light. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of His Holy Spirit be and abide with you and your shadow, now and forevermore. Amen.